We are now going to commence with the opening plenary session. If we could please ask you to make your way through, take your seats for the commencement of this morning's session. Thank you. Hey guys, Sarah here. As you can already tell, today's bonus episode is going to be a little bit different. Instead of an interview, this is a live recording of a panel I facilitated at this year's Evoke Ag Conference. But before we get to the panel, I want to give you a little taste of how the event actually feels. Was culture evolves. At Evoke Ag, they performed a traditional dance and music that told a story from the Kulin Nation about Bunjil, the creator. A really amazing performance, acknowledging the traditional owners of the land and helping to open the conference. In addition to the old, the traditional, Evoke Ag also featured the new, the young. Here was the first speaker on the main stage. This is agriculture. It is diverse rich in knowledge, evolving, and the most exciting place to be. To grow, though, we need to look at where we've come from, where we are going, and how we are going to embrace the future. Now imagine you're sitting in the beautiful and historic Royal Exhibition Building in Melbourne, surrounded by 1,300 people, from farmers to startups to investors, waiting for Evoke Ag to kick off. You might have expected a globally famous speaker to come out, but instead, Evoke Ag kicked off with this, a future young leader, one of eight, all under 30 years old, that would present throughout the two-day event. The 2020 future young leaders are on the cusp of something really exciting. They're on the cusp of being catapulted by Evoke Ag into the world of networking, connections, and ideas. Ideas that will fuel their passion to drive Australia, New Zealand, and Asia-Pacific agriculture forward. The power of the humans in this room can rival any industry. And we will take, tackle and face the challenges we have ahead of us. I'm Callan Daly, this is Evoke Ag, and together we can change the world. Thank you. So pretty impressive, right? I've added a link to the Future Young Leaders program and to Culture Evolves in the show notes so you can learn more about both. What is Evoke Ag? Well, there's no one better to explain it than Kay Hull. Kay is the chair of the organization behind the event, AgriFutures Australia. And here's what she said on the main stage the first day. So ladies and gentlemen, what is Evoke Ag? Our vision for Evoke Ag is to showcase, to inspire, to connect and power growth and opportunity in agriculture. 
It is an investment, an investment in collaboration to establish the point of difference for the Asia-Pacific region. It's together we can position ourselves in the global market. It's about enthusiasm. It's about optimism for a prosperous future. It's to encourage you, each of you, to immerse yourself in this explosion of technology within your business, your research, your organisation, and on your farms. Evoke Ag is different. Evoke Ag is a plan. It's a mission. It is not just an event that you turn up to and maybe have a great time. Every aspect of Evoke Ag is carefully crafted and is designed to bring the future into focus for you. It's a pretty exceptional event, but of course, not everyone can make it to these conferences in person. So it's a good thing we have podcasts. The rest of this episode is the live panel discussion that I moderated. Check out the show notes for more information on the panelists and links to the organizations that they mention so you can learn more. Uh, If you want to achieve genuine innovation and progress in global agriculture, what we need is exceptional collaboration between governments, industry leaders and the community. Now we've had a global lens and we're now going to take it into the local. So John, if you can take a seat, I'm going to welcome our first panel, Liza Noonan from the CSIRO, Andrew Coppen from FarmBot Monitoring Systems, David Downs from NZTE, and Sarah Nolette from Tenacious Ventures, who's going to facilitate this discussion. It's the local perspective, the Asia Pacific region, and how we are rising. Would you please welcome this rock star panel? Good morning, everyone. I imagine you can all check out who these speakers are in the app and on your own time. So if it's all right with you all, we might just get stuck into some questions. We've come a really long way in the last 12 months in terms of agri-food tech here in Australia and in APAC. would love to hear from each of you your kind of perspective on some highlights from the last 12 months. Liza, we might start with you. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, everyone. I'm Liza from CSIRO. Um, my role is uh, CSIRO's ASEAN director. So I've been based in Singapore for the last two years. Um, our role in Singapore, just really quickly, is to uh, promote Australian science and innovation into that um, into the region. So we're bringing investment back into Australia, identifying um, some partnerships where they shared national challenges. Say, for example, in food security. Um, and of course, working with partners like Austrade to help you know, Australian deep tech um, startups and SMEs scale into the region. Agri-food innovation has been a huge focus area for us um, because the scale of the opportunity that presents itself in Asia for the agri-food ecosystem here in Australia to address is massive. Um, there's a report that was issued at the end of 2019 by Temasek, PwC and Rabobank called the Asia Food Challenge. And it it called out um, $800 billion US of of additional investment needed to basically feed a population of people which is going to grow by 250 million in the next 10 years. That's another whole Indonesia. Um, Feed a wealthier population. So um, food spend annually in Asia right now is US $4 trillion. In the next 10 years, that's expected to get to $8 trillion. Um, but there's also some really significant challenges. You know, Asia is, is a region of extremes. We've got that incredible growth, but at the same time, challenges around um, sustainable nutrition, um, waste, and of course, environmental degradation and, and yield. So, 
big news in, in Singapore was the release of something called the Singapore Food Story. So Singapore as a country has called out a national ambition to grow 30% of its own nutritional needs by the year 2030. Right now it imports 90% of its food. Um, and it's, it's really getting out there with some very clear targets, some investments, everything from the research sector right through to bringing in the very best accelerators and venture capitalists to set up in Singapore to say, we want to innovate in urban food production, we want to innovate in alternative protein development, and we want to innovate in food safety systems. So, so much opportunity for the, for the local ecosystem here to engage. Love it. And Kapo, how about from the startup perspective, what's been a highlight for FarmBot in the last 12 months? Yeah, well, I mean, as a, a participant and investor in the sector over the last five or six years, I mean, I think I'm just super excited about everything that's happening, um, to see everyone in this room, to see the interest in, in ag tech. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a huge evolution. Um, you know, we've still got some ways to go, uh, engaging with corporates, engaging with the, um, the, the customer base, uh, I think there's still some challenges around um, the top down and bottom up. You know, farmers don't know where to go and corporates don't know where to go. And as participants in the ag tech sector, it's our job to make sure that, you know, people get clarity around that and they really know, um, you know, who to talk to, whether they're looking for a solution uh, at the farm gate or whether they're looking for a, uh, something to invest in or to solve a problem that they've got. Hmm. And, and I guess the, um, the corporate one's pretty interesting. I think it's one to maybe dig into a little bit. Um, there are some corporates in the room, so maybe it's an opportunity for us on the panel to um, give them a bit of a call to action to get involved and, and help startups. But maybe, John, from your perspective, how have you seen that working really well? How are corporates avoiding innovation theater and, and actually kind of digging in meaningfully? <laughs> well, I think that um, many corporations today are looking outside their companies more and more uh, because, you know, if I'm a CEO, I wake up at nighttime thinking about how am I going to get disrupted by another company. So it's, a, it's, it's on the forefront of many corporates' uh, minds. What we found is that um, it's good having an accelerator and getting these companies started, but they're not going to scale if you don't have backing from major venture capital or you don't have investment from major corporations that are in the space. So what we've managed to do is kind of bring them to be very much part of this. So, you know, I know Yamaha Ventures, Nolan Paul is here, you know, today. You know, he's been instrumental in terms of, you know, helping grow and scale those companies. Likewise, we're working with, you know, bigger corporations that are like the likes of Land of Lakes or uh, uh, Valley Irrigation. They're looking for solutions. If they're part of that and they're willing to put the investment in, things will work. But if we're in a situation where we're having startups getting a small amount of money and then trying to survive it's, it's a tough, it's a very tough challenge. I know when I was moving to Australia about four years ago, I had folks tell me, you know, wh why are you coming to Australia? Why not go to New Zealand? And, and I think actually that question is probably less clear now. Australia has come a, a really long way in that time. But it, it's a challenge for both Australia and New Zealand with these corporates because we don't always have the scale of that investment, the scale of that venture capital. W what is New Zealand doing so well? I presume that's a question for me because I'm... I hope so. Okay, cool. Namihi nui kia koutou, tēnā koe. My name's David Downs. I'm from New Zealand, as you can tell. I've actually worn the uh, traditional New Zealand uh, footwear, <laughs> the Allbirds. And, and by the way, you'd be welcome anytime to, to move to New Zealand. Um, <laughs> Uh, what, what is New Zealand doing? Well, well I suppose we, we're, we've got the advantage, and I, I can say this because I'm not Australian, we've got the advantage that we don't have that state system that sort of, I think, disrupts, that makes it difficult, you know, between the federal level and the local level 
New Zealand is small and perfectly formed and it's easy to collaborate. Uh, there was recently a study done that sort of says that um, anyone in New Zealand is like two degrees of separation from anyone else. And in the ag tech space, it's almost like one degree of separation actually. And particularly, there's a couple of people in the audience here who are literally connected to everybody in the agritech system in New Zealand. Um, I work for the government, um, uh, but before you start throwing things, um, my job is to help government and industry work together and to create a single plan for New Zealand for agritech. And uh, we're about to launch that in the next few weeks. We're just out for a consultation at the moment. And that's looking at how all the parts of the ecosystem can work together. So that's you know, researchers and investors and um, you know, entrepreneurs, obviously farmers, it's government agencies like the one I represent, and, and the whole ecosystem has got to work together. I think picking up on the point that John made, it can't be around just startups and it can't be around just corporates, it's gotta be around the collaboration between all parties. Mm, yeah, great. So Kapa, what do you think are the, um, I guess, opportunities, I know we've been working on a few, to, to get Australia onto the same kind of page and, and really increase this collaboration and solve some of the silos that we've had in, in the past? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a great lot of work going on on multiple fronts. Obviously, this event is, is a huge accolade and, uh, you know, bringing people together uh, to have like-minded conversations I was at a food agility um, event uh, last week where, again, 30 leaders talking about the issues, tabling the challenges. Um, and, you know, to the extent that Australia is a far bigger country and um, we need to get people on the same page, I guess, you know, we've, we've started the Australian Agritech Association to try and get all people who have interest in Agritech, whether it's at an individual level, corporate level, as a, a startup or a corporate, to try and get one voice around the conversation so that we can be more, uh, more powerful. But, I, you know, um, John, you, you come down here from San Francisco, you know, you look, must look at the map of Australia and say, you know, where do I go, where do I start, you know? And you're, you're, I mean, you're obviously tending to go to Sydney before you might come here, but I, it's my first time in Melbourne and seeing what's actually happening here. We were obviously working with somebody like Driscoll's who were working with Costa here under the big footprint here in Victoria. So I think there's, there's a lot go going on. I, I, I would just pick up on, on your point with New Zealand, um, not to be a bad guy here, because the on. Irish people love the New Zealanders uh, <laughs> after beating us so badly in the, in the World Cup. But that aside, um, we see more New Zealand startups and more New Zealand companies and people like uh, Peter Wren, Hilton, gathering a group of people together, not just bringing them to an event, but actually meeting farmers, engaging with the technology players that are there. I think it needs to go beyond just kind of, this is a great event, but you need to kind of integrate uh, with yeah. farmers, with corporates, and build those relationships that are there. And I think my hat, hats off to Kiwis, they've done an outstanding job uh, in doing this over the last few years. Yeah, thank you. I think we've got over 100 New Zealanders. Hey, put up your hand if you're ask, from New yeah. Zealand. Who's from New Zealand in the audience? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're all shy. Yeah, but they're good. They're here. They're among us. They look just like you too, actually. It's quite <laughs> Just I'll be just careful. Talk. You could be sitting next to one right now. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, the, the, the thing is here, you know, we've got so, some of the best and most innovative farmers in the world, and our adversity has, has created, yeah. you know, great technology, and, and what we have to do as a country is just get together get one voice, get government, get corporations, everyone in the ecosystem together and start having one conversation because the opportunity here is global, is to feed, you know, that, that 50 
X Lots million of people. people. Yeah. You know, the, uh, you know it's, uh, it's huge and it's really, really exciting. But we've got an opportunity to do it now and we need to, we need to start to hustle. So I, I love to talk about collaboration and I don't think there's anyone in the room who would disagree with that, but it's pretty easy to say let's collaborate and it's pretty hard to actually do it. Do you have any examples, and I don't know, Liza, if, if you do in CSIRO's perspective or what's happening in Singapore of, of a collaboration that's actually moving the needle, actually pulling different people together, maybe across research and, and startups? Or yeah, I mean, so one of, I mean, it's it's uh, I guess an experiment. Um, so we are we're just embarking on a, a program with uh, Singapore's research system. Um, it's a new program called Foods for Health. Uh, $2 million program over 12 months, funded by Australian government with matching support by the Singaporeans. Um, six projects are looking at things, you know, new ingredients for plant-based meats, um, looking at um, how we, you know, food applications for food waste, a whole bunch of really good stuff. Um, we decided we'd bring the six projects out to um, Australia for a boot camp. So they're actually over at Melbourne Museum right now. Um, and we deliberately timed it to coincide with Evoke because we thought there'll be an ecosystem of people here in this room that we want those teams to connect it with. Um, also, a lot of the applications we really encouraged this was we would um, seek a, an industry partner. And a lot of those industry partners that were successful, well, in the applications, were startups. Um, and a lot of them are Australian startups. And there's actually some sitting in this room right now, which is, you know, fantastic to see. So. What we're trying to do is from, a, from a research side is say, don't wait until the end of your research project to explore sort of the pathways for commercialization. Um, get out there at the start to, to really um, test and validate what your pathway to impact would look like and engage partners in that journey. So they'll be over here after lunch and we've, we've given them targets to go and to speak to and have industry conversations and have partner conversations. So if someone comes up and asks for your feedback, please give them, give them a go. <laughs> I love it. And there are quite a few farmers in the room here. Any farmers around? Yeah. Yeah. More, more than Kiwis. I love it. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could, or they're It could be a Venn diagram that overlaps. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, so but it just can I pick up on the collaboration point? Because I think one of the important things about collaboration, not just at the research and sort of product level, but at the go-to-market. And for a small yeah. country like New Zealand, and I'd say a small country like Australia on a global st um, stage, you need collaboration for the go-to-market piece, you know. Um, I'm going to pick up, you made the comment about Yamaha Ventures, and I see my friend Steve Saunders here in the front row. Steve's organisation, Robotics Plus, has, has partnered with Yamaha Ventures, yes, around, you know, investment and innovation, but actually the go-to-market is probably the big thing. You know, that channel, that, uh, you know, building for scale, all those sorts of things that we just don't naturally do because we don't have the domestic conditions. That's, I think, where collaboration can really benefit, you know, countries like ours. Mm. Kaba, what are you seeing on, on the kind of startup side? Are, are the corporates and the potential channel partners here in Australia showing up and providing that go-to-market for startups here? Yeah, look, I think the momentum is definitely heading in the right direction and it's certainly accelerating. Um, but, you know, it's still got its challenges. Um, you know, startups obviously have defined timeframes that are normally a lot shorter than corporates. And, um, you know, we do find ourselves occasionally getting caught up in in uh, long-winded processes where we need to move fast. I think the, um, the startup collaboration, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's not going to be a farmer on the planet 
that wants to have seven apps to run the farm. So, you know, we are really trying to work together to get solutions that uh, are cross-pollinating, sharing data um, in the farmer's best interest. And, you know, the farmers will decide what apps they want to use and what technology they want to use. Um, so, look, we're going in the right direction, um, but I definitely feel that, um, you know, corporate Australia in the sector could be more mobile and um, could really get behind initiatives and, and you know not all of them are going to work but we have to we have to be pushing hard pushing the envelope and thinking global in our outcomes I, I, I think the corporates here are, are absolutely critical to really kind of make this a real scalable solution so I, I totally agree with that my only thing I would say is that I would like to see more entrepreneurs moving out of us, not moving out, keep your operations here, keep your engineering team, I'm not saying that, but go on, your customers are, are in other places. Nice. They're not always here, and I think that's why countries like Israel and like Ireland and like, you know, I hate saying it again, New Zealand, uh, small countries, you're a global company from day one. You, you have to think mm. about customers outside. The largest market on the planet is the United States. The United States is very, very simple. There's California, if you want to get venture capital and investment, that's where you go. If you want to meet farmers, California is a great place to go. But if you want to go into mainstream row crops, livestock, etc., it's the Midwest. So it's going to the places where farmers are, engaging with farming organizations, not just corporates, you know, like the National Pork Board or Land of Lakes or Western Growers. You, you have to kind of get in there, not just presented an event, mm. you know, it's really kind of starting to kind of build those relationships. Yeah, and I guess to, to well, challenge that a little bit, yes. it's, it's probably, um, it's easy to say, just go to Silicon Valley and, and raise money. There's a couple of challenges with that. One, it's far, it's expensive. Going up and talking to growers in another country can be, you know, a network that you don't have. And often some of these programs offer maybe a little bit of cash and a kind of boot camp stint in a place or a desk somewhere, which is a great landing pad or a great opportunity to start. But not the kind of capital or depth of uh, connection that you might need to really get a hold there. How do you overcome that? So, look, there's no kind of, you know, silver bullet here. You know, it's like you can stay here, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, let me give you an example from Ireland, right? There's two young brothers called the Collison brothers. Uh, two young kids, 16, 17 years of age. They couldn't raise any money in Ireland. They were not taken seriously. Uh, they ended up selling their first company for about five, five million. And then they set up their second company, and they couldn't raise any money. They were ignored by banks, VCs, etc. They went to Silicon Valley, met in Starbucks, a big investor, wrote them a check for 250K. Their company is $35 billion now. So that may be one example, and there's a lots of failures, unfortunately, but I think you need to kind of get out there. And, and the one thing I would say also is, you know, Silicon Valley is one part of California, like the Central Valley, Salinas Valley, that's where the farmers are, you know, and the farmers are going to be your customers. So I think you need to, you know, maybe not hang out in, in San Francisco, but hang out where the farmers are. Mm. Yeah, it's no, it's no different here, but really we've got our, you know, if you're in bananas or sugarcane or beef cattle, you know, you're, you're in North Queensland or somewhere above the 26th. Um, you know, if you're in almonds and fruits, you're in, in the south and if you, you know, so we've got these different geographic spreads which allows for different ecosystems to evolve within that. But I mean, I still think you need this sort of overarching, you know, um, a cohesion and, and um, you know, conversation going on. 
So I make a couple of points. One is in terms of, you know, yeah, know your destination. So a lot of people say to me, if I'm in ag and food, why would I ever consider Singapore? If you're in food, you really should, because the number of multinationals, uh, food companies that have now their product development bases for Asia in Singapore, but also increasing places like Bangkok is not insignificant. Um, Second thing I would say is find ecosystem connectors. So one of the, when I mentioned earlier, Singapore sort of put out a call to the world's best accelerators and venture capitalists to come set up here and help leverage, you know, $100 million worth of investment into early stage agri-food startups. One of the um, accelerator partnerships that were successful um, had two very prominent Australian companies or Australian connected companies. So the Grow Accelerator was the first partnership to launch. It's backed by Ag Funder and Rocket Cedar. Um, you know, you've got people like, you know, Christine Pitt, who's an incredible connector between these ecosystems. And beyond the program, beyond the, you know, the three months of accelerating, then into the Singapore ecosystem, into that regional, um, yeah, into the corporate base, into the, um, the follow-on investment base. Mm -hmm. So, you know, find those people and use those people. I, 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 I'm going to be controversial here, right? I, I don't know if I, if I was a, a startup, would I go straight to Singapore from here? You know, I think... Singapore government have done an incredible job attracting, you know, various different investors and they've built up the ecosystem and I think Singapore is, is getting saturated and, um, and I think it's also um, a, very small, a very small country and I think that you need to go to the biggest markets um, you know, there, I'm not, uh, you know, I love Singapore, you know, I, you know but I, I feel no. like if I had a choice and you mentioned I don't have much money I can't afford a plane ride, you know, where do I go? I go to the biggest and best place I can get investment and customers. But if you think about Singapore as a hub to serve the region and not just Singapore, Singapore is a domestic market of five million, yeah, no, you're not going to prioritize that. But if you think of Singapore as a hub to actually serve a, 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 you know, a population of billions, then I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And I don't think it's saturated when you know, in comparison potentially to everyone gets on a plane and goes, we're going, to, we're going to scale globally and we get on a plane and we go to Silicon Valley. I don't think the world is Silicon Valley. I think there's a big market right above Australia and it's called Asia. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's pretty good news here. How many startups are in the room? We've got a couple countries literally fighting over you, so really good uh, <laughs> prospects here for you at Evoke Ag. Um, no, but it is really exciting, and I actually think the point that both of you made um, and might be in agreement with is, depending on what kind of company you are, there's strengths in different regions. And so the other point you made, Liza, was around food, and I think it's really important as we go into two days here at Evoke Ag that it's not just ag tech and it's not just on-farm. As we've been uh, raising the fund for Tenacious Ventures, we've had a few potential investors talk about, oh, well, you know, how, how many farmers are going to buy all these gadgets. And if ag agri-food tech was just limited to selling things to farmers, you know, maybe none of us would be here. It's a lot broader than that. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, maybe David, the kind of trends you're seeing or some exciting areas beyond just kind of ag tech on farm. Yeah, I mean, in New Zealand at the moment, we're doing a lot of work to look at our agri-tech ecosystem. And, and the on-farm piece is important, sure, but also the supply chain, um, you know, the cold chain. What are we doing about getting products to market, you know, in terms of fresh, you know, lobster and lamb and all that sort of stuff and just to pick up on your point you said earlier that you know New the world needs Australian food well it needs New Zealand food a lot more my friend um, uh, it needs our lamb it needs our shellfish it needs everything and so to get so you need innovation in that sort of part of the market too so the sort of post farm gate part of the market um, and you know for us 
there's a lot of research going into it. What, what we need to do be better at in New Zealand is commercialising that research and, and the, again, that go-to-market piece. But, you know, we're very, very good at coming up with innovations. I think there's a lot in common between Australia and New Zealand in terms of, you know, the conditions for innovation are really there. We've got necessity, we've got this sort of we-can-do-it-ourselves sort of mentality, but the bit where we fall down sometimes is commercialising our ideas, taking them to market. And uh, a lot of what we're trying to do in government is trying to work with accelerators and incubators and you know, offshore investment and onshore investment and really just push, push organisations through. Not only think about products differently, as I say, beyond the farm gate, but also think about how they're going to get them to market, who are their real customers, mm. you know, do they go to Asia or do they go to this valley or do they go to Europe yep. or UK, which are two different places now. Yep. So you've basically got, I think, part of our challenge coming from a small part of the world is actually, you've got this, this huge choice. Um, you know, the world is a very big place with lots of opportunity and a lot of what we have to do is sometimes make strategic choices about where we're going to focus. Mm -hmm. Sarah, I have a question for you. You know, if you look at um, successful Australian companies, The Yield, AgriWeb, um, AgWorld, what have they done? I mean, because they obviously have laid a path um, and they've been very successful. Uh, I think I met with Justin Webb yes, yesterday you know, he's spending a lot of time here, the UK, in, in London, and he's setting up in, in, in Denver. Um, that's one example I, I know, but I'm just trying to curious to see what did the successful companies do to scale? You've lost control of the panel. Now he's asking questions instead of you. What's going <laughs> I, on? I, I think we're it's doing... It's about feet running here. <laughs> So I would say the real strength of Australia is that we now, over the last four or five years, have started to learn some of the Silicon Valley polish and starting to speak the ag tech speak and food tech speak that investors and uh, you know traditional innovation ecosystems understand. But we also have here and, and in New Zealand the, the kind of bones as well in terms of startups that really connect deeply with farmers that have started on farm. Many of those examples you just gave and others um, you know, that you'll see here today, Swarm Farm Robotics, who has, has a robot out here, and, and many of the others are grounded really in the needs of the users and don't, you know, sacrifice the, the sizzle um, or the sausage for the sizzle, I guess, so to speak. And so some of the companies we've seen come out of Australia be really successful were early in navigating both the real substance, the real bones of what makes a successful company, but also having that early polish. And what's really exciting here in, that we'll see in the next couple of days is startups that, that continue to have both. And so it's, you know, it's not one or the other, it's how do we bring together both, and that's what we're seeing more and more now. Yeah. I don't know, Kapo, do you, do you want well, to comment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Sarah, and I mean, we've got, you know, 20 or 30 awesome startups out here in Startup Alley, um, and, you know, they've got someone to follow now. You know, we, you, you know, we, we need an Atlassian of the ag tech sector for some, for, you know, it creates a lot of interest, creates a lot of jobs, brings capital and knowledge and awareness. Um, and, I, and I feel like we've got a, a, a good cohort of startups that are potentially, you know, in that realm that are really are going global. So being able to have, a, have companies to, to follow and learn from their mistakes and everything is obviously critical for startups because it just cuts down the time and gives them a greater runway and, and, and a launching pad. But I think in the Australian-New Zealand um, camp, you know, I, I was in um, England at the World... Um, Agritech Forum, and, and you know, Australia and New Zealand needs to be seen as a regional opportunity to bring people yep. to this region, yep. because I think ultimately they're deciding whether they're going to, you know, North America or Canada or you know, South America or wherever. And, and you know, once you get on the plane, it, it's a big trip down here. 
and, and you know, you should spend time in both countries. So I think there's a real opportunity for us to, to work together to promote the region. Um, New Zealand's got different attributes than Australia. Um, your, your farming community and, and food companies are amongst the best in the world at what they're good at, and Australia's are, are amongst the best in the world in what we're good at. So, you know, I think we all benefit here if we work together. Yeah, and Coppo mentioned it earlier, actually, because I completely agree. Um, there's actually a collaboration already started up between Australia and New Zealand. I know you're part of it. I think you're part of it too, Sarah. But basically bringing together, because as you say, the world sees ANZ as a region and, you know, coll collectively we've got maybe 25 million people. That's still not huge, but it's starting to get there. Um, and, you know, we've got the advantages of being counter-seasonal with Northern Hemisphere. We've got all these sorts of things going on. If we can collaborate across the Tasman, we've, we've got a lot going on. And we'd, um, you know, a, I think New Zealanders and Australians, we've got a natural affinity. We actually do work together well. Much as we sort of argue and fight on the, uh, on the rugby pitch or the cricket pitch, we actually get on very well. We said we wouldn't Margaret. mention sports, sorry. Yeah, no, can't get <laughs> okay, into good. sports because I don't know anything about Australian sports, sorry. <laughs> um, I wanted to jump back, actually, David, to something you said. So the, the kind of role of government in this space and one thing that government has been good at is kind of filling that early stage gap of helping companies, you know, get, get started and, and survive for a bit longer. The other side of that might be, you know, the valley of death, this period where startups uh, don't make it to commercial success, don't attract customers, is, is there for a reason. What would you say the role of, of government is in, in being part of the, the ecosystem? Yeah, I think the key, the key thing to remember always, even when you work in government, is that governments don't exist for our own sake. We exist to, for the benefit of the companies or the individuals or the, or the people we serve. We don't create, you know, ag tech companies or products, but we need to create the conditions for success. So we need to make sure that there's a good active capital market, that there's good innovation ecosystem, that there's great research and development going on. So in the role I've been doing over the last year or so in New Zealand, we've been looking, six government agencies got together and said, actually, we need to do a better job as government of setting those conditions of success. And we've come up with one collective plan for all of government, working with industry and research and all the other parts of the puzzle, saying Here are, here's the kind of platform that government can build and, ma and making sure we're plugging some of those gaps, as you, as you mentioned, you know, definitely in the capital space in New Zealand, we're a bit um, light on investment in the early stages. Uh, and in the commercialisation realm, we need to do a bit more. And that's where government can go, right, well, where can we increase? And of course, in the go-to-market, I keep coming back to that because I work for the trade part of government. You know, how do we support companies when they take that big first step? I think one of you mentioned that New Zealand companies are global almost from day one. So, you know, these are not big or sophisticated companies having to work in a very nuanced, difficult market. So how can government help negotiate or navigate trade, you know, a policy and agreement? So that's where I see the role of government is to set that platform and conditions for success and then kind of get out of the way, let the investors and the entrepreneurs and the farmers and, and those sort of people flourish. Mm. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about someone like Enterprise Ireland? They've become one of the biggest investors, yeah. or, you know, fund to fund. So they're not investing, they're not picking winners themselves, but they're attracting major uh, players yeah. uh, like Finisterre, for example, to Ireland, and they're going to give them investment, and they'll let Finisterre figure out the, yeah. you know, the that. What do you think about that in terms of? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that, that topic, Enterprise Ireland, and their sort of early stage seed funds and seed investment um, portfolio comes up regularly. We have a similar model in New Zealand, the New Zealand Inve uh, Venture Investment, which is a which is a, a fund of funds model. Uh, built somewhat on learning from organisations like that. We're not ashamed to steal like an artist, as they say. Um, great ideas. Uh, we're not as active as Enterprise Island are. I think they were quite forward-leaning and have been for a long time. 
Certainly, I think there's a role for government to try and attract and stimulate funds to come to New Zealand. Finistere is a good example, actually. They've got some, they're active investing in New Zealand already. They're looking at, you know, how do they scale that out? And we as government are saying, well, how could we, how could we further incent you to do that, working alongside local investment? So, I, I, you know, I think you've got, it's, it's always the, the challenge with government. You've got to be in, but you don't want to be distorting the market too yeah. much. You've got to just, what, what are the right levels and conditions for your you know, situation. Yeah. I think in Australia we can be quick to, to you know, put the boots into government, but, in, you know, if you really think about it uh, in that framework, you know, we're, I've been on some exceptional uh, delegations with Austrade who are really pushing to try and get Australian agricultural technology into the rest of the world. Um, and, you know, we've got the RDCs, which without, you know, we wouldn't be at this event today, who are doing, you know, who are looking after their various sectors. I mean, there is a lot of work going on, but it's incumbent upon the, the sector to, to bring the cohesion. Yeah. Uh, the government's providing the framework through its various bodies. So, you know, again, we, we should be less inclined to put the boots in and think about all the good things that are happening and how we can help continue to drive that conversation. And again, that to me seems like the biggest single opportunity we've got here in, is to think about our region as a provider of food, uh, you know, we've, uh, into a world that's yeah. got a huge hunger. Mm. Well, th there's a phrase we use in New Zealand, I'm not sure if it's always true, but we try to make it true, which, which this thing should be industry-led and government-supported. Yeah. You know, when the government starts to lead or create, you know, strategy, I think you're kind of, you're backwards. Industry should be the one saying, this is what we need as an industry. And part of the reason why we started to get ourselves more organised in New Zealand is because the industry, the agri-tech industry in particular, in New Zealand has really got itself together and started to go in one direction and when government sees that we go right well how do we help you know that what's our role in assisting and I think that's if you get that right and at the ANZ level I think we've got that opportunity absolutely picking up on the point. So we're coming close to the end of time here and I'm really excited we covered you know, the, the role of corporates and, and maybe pushing some of the corporates in the room to consider working more with startups and avoiding some of the slow death by maybe um, that we heard a little bit about before. Government thinking about intentional policy design and incentives and aligning these incentives to attract other types of capital research organizations around commercialization. We have an amazing two days up ahead with a whole range of people in the room here. I would love just quickly to hear from each of you one kind of practical tip that you would give to, to the delegates here in the room to get the most value and, and maybe increase collaboration over the next two days? Any volunteers? <laughs> John? John. John? You're me? <laughs> you asked me the question, so I got to put you on the screen. <laughs> so um, I think, um, you know, bringing the startups and putting them in front of uh, investors and corporates, I think is really, really important to do because it's very hard to uh, engage as a, a young early stage company with big corporations. So to be able to showcase and put the startups first, um, I think is a, a, a great practical thing to do. And uh, I know from last night, we had an investor dinner last night, um, which you know went incredibly well. And we saw some of the greatest uh, entrepreneurs. So I think sh putting the startup front, in front so that we can see and help and support and invest yeah, great. And for anyone in the room, you know, definitely check out Startup Alley and go have a chat. They're all standing there, um, definitely waiting for you to come up and, and speak with them. Yeah, Kappa. Yeah, I mean, look, my uh, obviously uh, John stole my script because I'm I'm in the startup and <laughs> I'm happy to have a conversation with you. Um, look, I think I think um, it's on all of us to do something. 
So uh, if you, whether you're a farmer or a corporate or just an interested person, start a conversation with someone here in your sphere um, of influence and, and don't let it end when you walk out the door. Continue the conversation, have the follow-up meeting, give them the time, dedicate some energy um, to it. We're all busy people, but you know, if we don't dedicate time to this opportunity that is you know, once in a lifetime, a, a huge game changer for Australia, then, then nothing's gonna come of it. So make the phone call after with that business card you put in your pocket. That would be my one takeaway for everyone. Love it. Liza? Um, well, my, my closing message would just be to, to really just be open and responsive to opportunities outside of Australia. So, you know, here there's been, I know there's um, lots of Kiwis in the room, which is great, but I understand there's delegates from um, all over the world. So really be open to some of those international opportunities. Um, Australia does have, and really does punch above, well above its weight in um, technology and innovations. And um, I would like to see a lot more Australian startups, Australian companies, like I see Kiwi startups and companies in Asia. Um, and yeah, there is, there is significant growth out there. And so just, yeah, be open and responsive to it. Yeah, I'm going to pile on the top of these guys. Um, organisations and events like this is an opportunity to network. And networking is a contact sport. Yeah, it's not something you can do <laughs> passively. You don't sit back and kind of wait for it to happen. You actually have to dive in. And some of the best collaborations I've ever seen come from events like this one, um, you know, where people go out there and meet a few people and ask good questions. Don't ask, what do you do? Ask, what could my company and your company do together? Yeah. You know, how can I help you be successful with what you're doing? Now, those sorts of open questions are exploratory questions, I think, really good. But yeah, as I say, it's not a passive thing. At the drinks function tonight, don't hang around with people you already know because you'll see them again. Hang around with people you've never met. I, um, I think in terms of the contact sport, why doesn't every investor or corporate person stand up in the room here? And bring out yeah. your checkbook. Every investor. <laughs> and who's an investor here? On, Don't be shy. Up. Put a stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Oh, there we go. There we go. Look, investors. Right. Oh, they're hiding. And there we go. Any corporates. If I'm an entrepreneur, they're the guys that you want to go after. That's right. They're <laughs> buying drinks at the bar at the afternoon. <laughs> I love it. I think it's such a it's such a good point actually that you know really um, put it into action. Ask those questions. There's no silly questions. Talk to the farmers in the room. We saw lots of hands up earlier, and that is truly a strength of the ecosystem here in in Australia, New Zealand, and just there's no uh, shortage to opportunities over the next couple days, uh, but it's going to take a lot of collaboration and really that's uh, on you now. Um, so please join me in, in thanking the panelists uh, and have a great two days. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for joining us on another episode of AgTech So What? You can stay up to date with the latest episodes and news at agtechsowhat.com. And as always, if you have any feedback or other guests to recommend, we'd love to hear from you. Just hop on the website and leave us a comment or send us a message. Finally, if you like what you're hearing, and we hope you do, please share the podcast with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time.